This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody under the dome with CD. We are officially underway on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon. Hope you have a great one so far, however you're doing so. Be it, you know, drinking that first, that second cup of coffee, maybe a first cup of coffee if you were a bit of a night owl, like I usually am most nights, or you're maybe popping that first top on a Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day out there to all those wonderful moms out there all across the land. And, of course, as always, the famous CD coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through the old school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. And also appreciate you listening in through the free mobile app. You've also got the .com, smart speakers, everything in between. And wouldn't you know, the second we get on the on the air, we got a call. So we're not going to start with the Saturday Sports Sermon. We're going to start with a call. So hopefully this is a good one to start off the show, to get the good vibes going on a two-and-a-half-hour edition of Under the Dome. That's right, two not two hours, two-and-a-half. This show is so big, well, they wanted me to go till 1.30 because of LSU baseball. It's a pretty decent show, though. LSU looking to get the sweep. We'll talk about that game a little bit later. But in the meantime and in between time, let's get out out to the game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All right, 20 bucks. That was TV's Dylan on that front. Is I know him. He's probably out there at some estate sale or whatever on this Mother's Day weekend. So, Dylan, thank you for listening to the program. But I want to get down to brass tacks. Because I was very much frustrated with one person in particular earlier this week. And I feel like I need to get some things off my chest. So it's all probably the same feelings y'all feel about this particular person. So let's get into it with your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. They always say, when you know the name of of an official, it's usually never a good thing. It always feels like some of these officials can make a name for themselves for all the wrong reasons. It usually is all the wrong reasons. You never get to hear, you're Ed Hockley, mainly because of the biceps. But for the most part, it's never... Great. Case in point, Angel Hernandez, a name that rings out in the baseball world a lot like Earl Hebner does in the world of pro wrestling for his part in the screw job in Montreal. The crazy part here is 
He's been continually lambasted for his poor officiating for a long time. So why am I bringing him up today? On all days. Because it's not because of a bad call he made against the Astros. Because, honestly, those things kind of do happen. Especially when it's balls and strikes. I'm not going to sit here and argue balls and strikes and whatnot. I'm here to argue and complain about a pair of bad calls he made earlier this week against the Kansas City Royals and treating them horribly and having some god-awful calls. For instance, on Tuesday night, it's all started Tuesday, when Hernandez admitted he essentially guessed on a play in the bottom of the third that had to be overturned due to, quote, being blinded by the outfield scoreboard. I was blown away the second that came out of his mouth. But then again, I shouldn't really be surprised, to be honest with you, to see that going on. It's an absolute slap in the face of the MLB to have that guy out on that field doing those kind of calls. And it, I it kind of I had an epiphany after that. And I said, you know what? Angel Hernandez, the name is pretty not appropriate because at the end of the day, Angel Hernandez is the devil of the MLB. He's the devil. He is the devil of the MLB. And this all started with runners on second and third. Salvador Perez hit a deep fly ball to right center. They landed between the two outfielders on the warning track. That could have very well set up a couple runs and helped give the Royals a win over the Cleveland Indians. Andrew Benatendi, then then Hernandez signaled the ball had been caught. He was stationed at first base, which honestly, he probably should have been on the call of that and be able to pay attention enough to see the ball either was caught or it wasn't. Andrew Benatendi was told by third base coach Vance Wilson to get back to second because he saw Hernandez had called the hit as an out, and Benatendi did not get back to the bag in time, so it was a double play inning over. That alone is way more infuriating and damning of somebody like that rather than his typical balls and strikes BS that we all know that he does. These balls and strikes, those are always going to be very much questionable. Those always have some, like, questionable stuff to it, especially now we're watching it on TV, we're looking at MLB game day, and they show you where the strikes were and where the typical strike zone is. Obviously some people have their own strike zone. It's a little bit different. Baseball is always going to be a very subjective sport in a lot of different aspects. But the story's not done here, because the next night, the next night, in the top of the sixth of the Indians' 5-4 to four win on Wednesday night, Mike Matheny and pitching coach Carl Eldred were ejected after Hernandez called a balk on an attempted pickoff at second base. Matheny was absolutely having none of this. He had a comment, and then Eldred and the manager both thrown out after he heard some words. They even threw out Brady Singer, who was being removed from the game already. Because Singer decided, oh yeah, I'm going to let him know about his god-awful officiating. And it has been a joke over the last several years. And again, this is why I'm saying he is absolutely the devil of the MLB. The devil? He is a guy that is just such a heel, and he embraces it to a certain extent. I feel like, you know, sometimes at night he's just like this. Devil, devil, devil. He is the devil, of the MLB. He's the devil! And it's amazing just to see how much we continue to hear about this. 
He continues to ruin a sport that's trying to gain steam and grab that casual fan and turn him into a full-time fan. Mind you, the May the 4th be with you fiasco aside, they're doing a pretty good job of that, all things considered. They don't have all... uh, Mind you, the MLB is loving to make this storyline be the Astros are now the heel. I mean, to them, they're the devil. Everything is the devil to you! Yeah, exactly. Everything is the devil to the MLB unless it's the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, or the Los Angeles Dodgers. You you cross their paths and you say the wrong things or do the wrong things. In the case of the sign-stealing scandal, which, mind you, half the team's not even there anymore. We'll talk with Apollo Dez maybe a little bit about the Astros at 1230. Gonna expect to have him on the program. Can't wait to talk to him about that and so much more. We'll get to that later. But it just continues to make me wonder, Does is this guy okay with his reputation being the quintessential heel of the MLB is he okay with him being known as probably the worst person in the history of baseball in terms of officiating because he is up there and you know I I had to laugh at this because I was doing some research before the show just to see what the cat's all about and he actually filed a lawsuit against the league for discrimination for being overlooked as a World Series umpire He's a, he's a, he's a part of a couple World Series in the early 2000s. The thing was since overturned in March of this year. But it's amazing how you just don't take a good hard look in the mirror and you blame somebody else for the fact that you don't get these opportunities to be a umpire in the World Series. Here's the thing. All year long, these guys spend hours, you know, via umpires. Same thing with the NFL. The NFL grades out every single game that these guys do officiate. Same, I think same thing with college football. That way they have the best of the best of the best officiate these NFL games. They have their guys in place to officiate these games. The Super Bowl, it's always going to be the best of the best of the best that are going to be in there. That's why you aren't getting your due recognition in your mind there, Angel. You are the... Worst officiate, worst umpire, and I i have nothing against the profession of an umpire. I know a lot of people who are umpires. But I think a guy like Angel Hernandez gives a bad name for them. And at the end of the day, he's been in the league for over 20 years, and it feels like he's overstayed his welcome, not like some NFL officials. And it makes me wonder, you know, you have to take a long, hard look at him and say, hey, maybe it's time, maybe it's not them it's me and you kind of realize it's time to move on and I'm, I'm amazed the nfl hasn't just outright decided to send him out and throw him out and make sure he burns like the devil that he is he's the devil he is absolutely the worst person in the mlb not named rob manfred but in terms of actual on-field people, he's the worst. It continues to boggle the mind that the league continues to have this guy run things. He is the, the guy that we always hear about. You never get, really hear a whole hell of a lot about X, Y, and Z guys. You don't hear a whole lot about uh, the other umpires. But when you think about bad, bad officiating in baseball... The first name that comes up, if you like Family Feud, survey says Angel Hernandez is that guy. 
And I think it's time for him to move on, or the NFL, the MLB, excuse me, needs to move the hell on and push him out the door with some serious force because he is ruining the game of baseball a lot worse than that sign-stealing scandal. Again, at least that's just my opinion. All right, it's under the, under the dome with CD. We're going to take a quick timeout and a little bit again. Apollo Des will be joining the program at 1230. But in the meantime, I'll spend the bulk of this hour getting into the NFL draft. Not necessarily breaking down every single thing, but I'll, I've been thinking about just doing some NFL divisional rankings right now. Because I think there's some interesting divisions, some divisions that feel like they're just inevitable. And I want to kind of give my overall takeaways on how each team drafted and how that affects my rankings for the post-NFL draft and how the divisions kind of pan out and which ones I'm most excited to watch. But before we do that, let's go out to the game hotline. Let's see if we got somebody, and it's not Mr. Dalton himself. Our guy TV's Dylan. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Yes. Uh, hey, how you, you doing? You must not have seen uh, which game of the Strolls and the Yankees. I'm a Yankee fan, yeah. but that umpire was terrible. Oh no, he, the Yankees it, came it, behind it, the plate. Yeah, that, that one was that one was absolutely beyond the pale as well. But I feel like at the end of the day, the the one that's grabbing those headlines is the guy that always does this, and Angel Hernandez. But that, I know what you're talking about. That was the game Monday. That was the game Monday night, right? Well, I prefer seeing him uh, in the press box doing something else, yeah. delivering food to the people in there, or something like that. Because, uh, like you say, he is terrible, whether he's on behind the plate, on the bases. I don't think he's really in the game. No, he's not. It, is, it just continues to boggle the mind every time he pops up in the headlines. I appreciate the call. Don't be a stranger. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Well, when people agree with me, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always great when people agree with you, especially when we're talking about Angel Hernandez. I think that's one thing we can all agree on is that Angel Hernandez is the devil. He's the devil. We can take a quick timeout back after this. Under the Dome with CD coming your way in just a little bit. Going to kind of spend some time breaking down the NFL draft. Which divisions am I most intrigued about? We'll start with the AFC in the next segment. Then we'll get to the NFC. If you want to get your takes out about anything, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up, man, I'm starving. Now, back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. All right, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate you listening in, and hopefully you're having a good Saturday afternoon. If you want to call in, Get your shots up today, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. It's just that simple to get in on the conversation. And I recommend you do so because we have plenty of time. Only one guest in the program is to be at 1230. We'll get to some discussion about the Houston Astros then. But in the meantime and in between time, I want to get to some of my thoughts on the state of the NFL, where things are after the NFL draft. We'll just go in terms of divisional rankings here and kind of break down some individual storylines that I took away from it. 
And we'll start in the American Football Conference, the AFC. The most, in, and this is going to go in order of intrigue and most storylines that everybody's going to be talking about and how stacked that division's going to be to where it's going to be extremely competitive. And we'll start with the least competitive, I think, in my mind, out of the entire league. is going. I mean, let's say outside the NFC East, which we'll talk about the next segment. But it's the AFC West because I feel like it's still the Chiefs' division to lose. They're they're the Chiefs. They have all they have until they show me otherwise. They have all the potential in the world to be a force for at least the next two to three years. Now beyond that, I just don't know. And it's not because I don't think that Pat, I think Pat Mahomes is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the league. It's just can you keep your key cocks together in this current salary cap world? Like, I mean, obviously the salary cap is inevitably going to go up after 2021 and it'll probably continue to rise going forward. So who's to say things don't change before too long? But you just don't know. You don't know where the things where this thing's going to be headed. But in terms of 2021, right here, right now, it's the Chiefs division to lose. Another team in the AFC West, you got to go with the Las Vegas Raiders to continue their trend of baffling draft picks. Why get Alex Leatherwood? In the first round, I understand he's a hell of a guy, and he is it like a felt like he graded out to a lot of people as a first round draft pick. So who's to say that was probably a smart idea and a smart move to go with when it comes to these divisional rankings? I think the Raiders just still have a lot of issues, and I think a lot of it is John Gruden and ironically Mike Mayock, who spent who made his hay as a draft guy, hasn't necessarily had. Too great of drafts makes you wonder. It makes you kind of start questioning where the future is because it felt like at first glance, getting a guy like a like like I was blown away the second we saw Mike Mayock be picked as kind of the GM to be alongside John Gruden because Mike Mayock seemingly has a brain and he, he understands how to manage things and especially in terms of the NFL draft, he knows. How to scout talent. And it's like maybe this could have been a trend where you have guys transition from being more mock drafters and understanding the draft unlike anybody else. Obviously not a guy like Mel Kuyper is not, never going to be in that kind of position, but who's to say there's somebody else in that number that could crack that and the Raiders continue to be baffling. Now maybe it's just clashing of styles and clashing of interests, but as the Raiders continue to make some moves, having scratched on my head and wondering, you know, what is what is the future of this Raiders franchise? Are they going to continue to make these picks? And we see them underwhelm and waste some really good talent? Or are they going to wind up, like, next year turning this thing around? Because I don't think you're going to be invested for too much longer, not only in John Gruden, but the future of this franchise, especially if you wind up having to make a decision to get rid of Derek Carr because who's going to be there to fill his shoes? I don't think it's Marcus Mariota, and I sure as hell don't think it's Nate Peterman. Those two are the guys behind him. I just don't feel like there's a shot there. Then we get to the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, they don't have really much of a fan base, all because Dean Spanos is a complete Melvin but there's no doubt in my mind that this is going to be an interesting year for them, and they could be one of those teams, depending how I think one of the other divisions is. I'll get to that in a little bit. But the Chargers could very well crack the postseason with Herbert in year two. I am 
very much saying that they they showed so much potential, especially after Tara Taylor accidentally got stabbed by a team doctor by accident, which, again, that was a weird thing in and of itself. So who's to say that Herbert, in year two, and they did a pretty decent job in the NFL draft as well. They didn't necessarily like, knock it out of the park like some teams, but they managed to do some good things, and now it's going to be all on, you know, Justin Herbert to get this team into the postseason. Meanwhile, the Broncos, they're interesting. Yes, they got Pat Sertan, and it was a weird pick, especially since Justin Fields was still there. We'll get to Fields in a little bit, but I think they'll be fun to see, especially if Rodgers lands there. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, he's definitely the big storyline in the NFL. Where does he go? Does he stay with the Packers? Does Gutenkunst, that guy, does he leave? There's a bunch of questions surrounding this franchise right now in Green Bay, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But where he goes, that changes the fortunes of a lot of different teams. Case in point, I think the Denver Broncos, if they have Aaron Rodgers, they are very much a wild card team. But here's the thing. They're a wild card team that's going to have to be 11-5, 12-4 to make that wild card, which is crazy to think about. But when you have some really stacked divisions of some teams that, case in point, the Miami Dolphins last year, excuse me, 12 and 4, it's be, what, 12 and 5, somewhere along those lines now with a 17 game season. I'm trying to get used to saying 17 games versus 16. And the schedule is going to come out next week. We'll spend some definite time talking about that on next weekend's program. Going to break down what's going on with the. NFL draft from that perspective, from, from the NFL schedule, where that perspective is, and I'll give you my game-by-game, way-too-early predictions. But I think the Broncos are interesting. Rodgers lands there. It'd be great. I highly doubt it, though. Who's to say that he doesn't? He lands there, doesn't have a whole lot of talent to choose from. It's kind of that same situation. Do I think he joins the black and gold? I would love it. I'm not going to say it's going to happen because I feel like even then, that's difficult as hell to figure out. So who else is there that, one, is unsure about their quarterback and needs a quarterback? I think the Broncos could be good, especially if Teddy Bridgewater gets his act together. I think it's I think the fact that you, and it was a lame duck year for him because of the fact you didn't have a lot of your star guys. You didn't have Christian McCaffrey for a good bit of the season. So that was a million-dollar question that I had. Let's flip over to the AFC South. They're number three on my rankings, and it started because of the fact same thing as Kansas City Chiefs. The Tennessee Titans have continued to be one of the better teams in the division. Not the AFC Championship team they were a year, two years ago, but not the AFC Championship, the team that got to the AFC title game played and lost to the Chiefs, but they still look good enough, especially with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. So it's theirs to lose at this point in time. I think in next year's draft, and we see how kind of some teams progress, they are going to be somebody that could very well, if they don't get it right in the draft, is they made some other weird picks, fourth-round guy they got that recently was arrested. That was a head-scratcher in and of itself. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. Texans, they are the dumpster fire of all dumpster fires. I'm going to go ahead and kind of get started when I talk about this. And let's give a 10-bell salute to the... Houston Texans. Ding! 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 Yep, that's kind of where I was at when I saw, like, Davis Mills. 
if you see if, if there's a chance where Deshaun Watson doesn't play for the Texans, be it due to a trade, mind you, you have to pull off a massive trade to get Deshaun Watson out of Texas. More importantly, what if he's suspended for the entire season because of all the allegations that have popped up over the spring, and we're obviously going to be probably dealing with that into the summer. Who's to say that the NFL is like, all right, we're going to go ahead and make sure this guy does not see the field at all in 2021. Davis Mills, this is the epitome of awful. And again, the, the city of Houston has been cursed for a good while. And, you know, the 2017 national, the 2017 World Series championship came at a severe price for Houston sports, especially professional wise. Houston Cougars, they look good in basketball, football. They've been hit or miss. Hopefully they can kind of get things back going. Not even going to get started on the Peyton Turner take I've had over the last week. I've, I've, I've calmed down on that one. But the Texans absolutely are a 10 bill salute team and they're going to be in that in that mud for a good while. Then we get to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a new era for them. Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, all proud members of the Jaguars franchise. Team Tebow allegedly is going to be a tight end for that team. He took he had a tryout, and they're interested, according to Tony Khan, who's probably more focused on who needs to be more focused on making sure stunts work right on AEW Dynamite. But that's a different conversation for a different show and a podcast that we have on 1037thegame.com. But it's a new era for the Jaguars. you got Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, teammates, which is going to be a lot of fun to see how that all works out. I think the Jags are still going to be probably in the middle of the pack in the AFC South. And that's a good thing when you think about it, really, because you've got the Titans, you got the Texans, and the Colts with Carson Wentz, which will get you right now. Can the Colts win with Wentz? That's my million-dollar question All this. Does he have the ability to get it done? I'm not necessarily sure, but I'll say this. Texas Longhorns quarterback Sam Ellinger, he fell into the right spot in my mind. He was a guy that got picked in day three, and I feel like there's a solid chance that the teams, uh, the fan base is going to rally around him, especially if Wentz doesn't perform the way we expect him to. If Carson Wentz is more like Pete Wentz at the quarterback position, Sam Ellinger is going to take over his spot real quick, like, and, you know, where it's Wentz will be dance dancing over to a different team before long. But I like, I like the AFC South a little bit more than the West because there's some intrigue, but it's more intrigue into the future. The AFC East is where the conversation's really going to be fun. Because can the Pats get back into contention? Is Mac Jones going to usurp Cam Newton before the season's over? I wouldn't be surprised. Are the Dolphins all in on Tua Tagovailoa? They got Jalen Waddle, gave him a weapon, a, a former teammate of his, and the NFL is starting to love kind of putting together these offensive duos. Case in point, Bengals, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the Bengals and Chase, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jalen Waddle, the Jags. They went in the first round and were able to land both Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, two guys who spent like years together. That's amazing to think about. I think Tua, the if you see the the Miami Dolphins all in on Tua Tagovailoa with Jalen Waddle, and they want to putting some effort into their offense and kind of make it more Alabama esque, and they say, hey, you know, this guy has been the leader. I would not be surprised one bit that we see the Jags, the 
yeah, the, the Dolphins continue to be a team to be like worried about. Because they missed out on the playoffs, but they still had a winning record for the first time in a good while. Who's to say that you know he could very well be the next Dan Marino before too long? Then we get to the Buffalo Bills. Do the Bills circle the wagons again? I think they do. I think they have they kept a lot of key guys around, did some good moves in free agency. There's some future there. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this AFC East is going to turn out because this could be a highly competitive one. The AFC North is the most intriguing division to me in the AFC and probably all the NFL. It's Joe Burrow year number two. Can the game slow down for him? And he wants to talk about the offensive line. The offensive line got better down the stretch whenever they kind of got guys to get over some of those injuries. The offensive line got better. Who's to say if it gets better with Joe Burrow in year two and you have Jamar Chase alongside him, that could be a very well, like, a monstrous duo, and I'm all the way here for it. The Browns, they had a really great draft, which is something I don't think we've ever been able to say about the second edition of the Cleveland Browns. I'm looking forward to seeing what the dogs wind up doing when it's all said and done. The Steelers, if they have Roethlisberger, they are still going to be a team to keep it on. Yes, they've got, you know, Najee Harris, which is a weird first-round pick. You could have gotten an offensive line to help protect the old man, but if Roethlisberger stays upright and performs at a certain level, this team is still towards the top tier in the AFC North, and a big reason why I think, if anything, the wild card, this is my hot take here, the wild card spots are both going to be taken by AFC North teams. A lot has to do with the fact you've still got the Ravens. There's someone to keep a tab on. If you see Lamar Jackson regress again, and mind you, maybe a little bit of Madden curse action there, but who's to say that he continues to underwhelm because of the fact that the, the, the book's been out on him. I've talked about it before. The book is starting to come out on him, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that are kind of thinking the same way, and defensive coordinators are starting to scout on him and know how to stop him. We're going to take a quick timeout under the dome with CD, and we'll get to some, some NFL talk. Flip over to the NFC in our next segment. Back up to this on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon and happy Mother's Day weekend to all the moms out there, especially mine. Hopefully you are getting things taken care of and if you haven't already, when it comes right down to that. In the meantime, in between time, the phone lines are open, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about anything, because we've got a lot of things to get to here. Obviously, we can talk a little LSU-Auburn. LSU, by the way, looking good a couple games in to the series against Auburn. Hopefully, they can keep this momentum going this afternoon when they play the you guessed it, the Auburn Tigers game number three on the Plains. They've been looking for the series sweep. Meanwhile, the Houston Nationals are looking to make it two in a row when they take on the, i trying to remember, the, the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays tonight, they'll be taking on the Blue Jays. The game three will be right here on 103.7, the game. But if you want to go see the Houston Astros, 
you got a chance for you to do so. So sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com for a chance to score four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for Houston's home game against San Diego on May 29th. Labor Day week, Labor Day, listen to me, Memorial Day weekend. They'll be over at Minute Maid Park. So why not get in on the action today and sign up at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter, free to join. If you're not part of it already, what in the world are you waiting for? And the Astros we can get away is our power by Butcher, Air Conditioning, J&J Exterminating, and 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. I'm kind of getting into some conversation about the NFC divisional rankings in my mind because I think there's some interest, especially when it comes to where the NFC South lands in my rankings. First off, does anybody care about the NFC East? They're number four on my list. Yes, the Cowboys did a bang-up dra- bang job in the draft. Missed out on Sertan, but that's not necessarily their fault. I think the Cowboys, if this isn't the year, there will never be a year where this team gets into the postseason and makes a run. Because they set themselves up nicely. And, you know, obviously the Dak Prescott, the lost year they had with him due to injury, that kind of hurt them. And that's why the NFC East continued to be the NFC least last year. Who's to say that the New York Giants, they got Danny Dimes, they, got, they gave him some weapons. So now it's all about kind of do or die for a guy that literally ran down the field and got tripped up while running. Nobody else around him for miles, and he tripped and fell, and that cost him a touchdown. Like, and probably one of the best highlights of the year was a blooper reel move from Danny Dimes. So who's to say, you know, this guy could have a great year with the weapons that he has. Now, obviously, I think he need also work on the offensive line because they have just absolutely been a joke over the last couple of seasons, especially the tail end of the Peyton Manning year. Right, once Peyton Manning retired, Eli Manning, excuse me, listen to me, I'm kind of mixing up my Mannings. But Eli Manning, in the last few years of his career with the Giants, he was just getting demolished. The offensive line sucked after that second Super Bowl, and that's why he had to hang it up. The Giants, they've got potential with Danny Dimes. Now, they gave him weapons. There's no excuses now. If he screws up, he's gone. He'll be looking for a job somewhere else. Then the Eagles, they're looking towards Jalen Hurts to be the guy. And I think there's a very good chance to get that done and have a new era over there. So they're going to be an intriguing team, but I don't think they'll be towards the top of the line. Then you've got the Washington football team, Ron Rivera, still leading that thing. They made it to the playoffs somehow. Some way. Oh, yeah, it's because the Philadelphia Eagles put it in tank mode on week 17 and pretty much handed it to them. And, again, somehow, some way, the Washington football team made it to the playoffs. What will they be called in 2021? Probably the same name, but at the end of the day, I just don't know what they have because they don't have a quarterback. They don't have somebody firmly in place over there. So the NFC East alone is just such a question mark. It's a big old what-are-we-doing type thing. Let's see what happens going forward. Then we get to the NFC South. They're ranked third in my list. And I think it's because of the fact that you know the Bucks are going to be a force because they brought back all their starting 22. When you bring back all those guys, the starting 22, that sets you up for a lot of greatness. Even if you wind up having a, a mad draft, they got Kyle Trask, their quarterback of the future, which honestly I laugh about. But, you know, when you spend a year with Tom Brady, it's like studying – uh, backpacking through Europe, and you you spend your time abroad. 
and you can wind up learning a lot of different things about yourself and kind of be a life-changing experience. This could be that life-changing experience that turns Kyle Trask into a laughable quarterback, into a quarterback of the future, and making the Bucks a threat for years to come with Bruce Arians and his Kangol hats, which is cool in and of itself, but the Bucks are going to be somebody. That I feel like it's almost a birthright this year for them to win the NFC South. It's because of the fact that the team that's been holding that thing hostage for the last several years, which has been great to see because obviously for a good while, the NFC South was owned by the Carolina Panthers, and before that it was hot potato, a lot like the WBF hardcore title in the early 2000s. Probably the 24-7 rule there. But when it comes down to it, the Saints, you just don't know what's going to happen in the post-breeze era. Is Jameis Winston going to be the guy? If Jameis Winston underwhelms in week one, does does Taysom Hill become the guy after that? And then you're playing quarterback carousel. If Ian Book shows up there, depression is going to be setting in, my friends, on that team. What's going to happen in the post-Drew Brees era? How is this team going to look? Are they going to continue to be on this upward trajectory? Especially after a little bit of a questionable draft, which we'll talk about to start hour number two. Then the Panthers, they're all in on Darnold. Like, I think that's a great step in the right direction, especially after last year's lame duck year. And this is a guy that could probably fit Joe Brady's offense extremely well. Now, if Joe Brady stays there for another year, is a whole different conversation. But I think you see Joe Brady turn Darnold into a serviceable quarterback and a very much, you know, bubble team in the playoffs. Then we get to the Falcons, it's a new era for them. They finally got rid of their head coach after years of mediocrity to absolutely being piss poor. They've got Kyle Pitts, who seemingly is going to be their new target numero uno, their new toy for Matt Ryan to choose from. Maybe choose him over Julio, possibly, because there were rumors they were going to trade him. That didn't happen, but I think they are going to be a team just at least look at and see if there's signs for progression or if there's signs, hey, you know, there's still regression. It's time to get rid of Matt Ryan, and you move on from him, and you got to figure out what else you're going to do. The NFC North, a lot of questions, but I still feel like there's some really good stuff going on because are the Bears back? Justin Fields, can he break the Ohio State quarterback curse? Because for years, Ohio State quarterbacks just have not panned out well in the NFL and especially in the last five to six years in the Urban Meyer and now Ryan Dare, where all these guys are. like You just don't know what the hell is going on with all this. So I think the Bears are an intriguing team, and make that's a big reason why they're number two in the NFC North, because who's to say that this team could win the division, especially if the Packers-Rodgers mess doesn't fix itself. The Vikings, they, they had a pretty good draft too. I mean, they got Kellen Mond, who could be a guy of the future, depending on how Kirk Cousins goes going forward. But more importantly, you're looking to build off of the success and work with Justin Jefferson to make sure that he is built up and you have him in year two, continue to be on an upward trajectory to where you can have him look like a potential Randy Moss of this new era. I'm absolutely thinking the Vikings are the most intriguing team in the NFC North, just to see how they go. It's year one with Dan Campbell, the new head coach at Detroit, are people's kneecaps really going to get bit off by Lions players? I don't necessarily think so, but I love the fact he's getting some guys that just don't mind knocking the you-know-what out of each other. There was a guy who got drafted, and he absolutely said, I'm just going to knock the censor for radio out of people. I love, love lighting people up and knocking them out. I was like, that's 
really cool, not going to lie. So I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. And I think the Lions are going to be more of a, like, I'd say, third or fourth in the NFC North, more because of the fact that I feel like teams are a little bit more established. And they're still going to be not great in year one, but I think year two going forward, that'll be more intriguing, especially once they kind of start establishing more good players and building it up in the NFL draft. The final team, and the number one on my list with a bullet, NFC West. I mean, that's the way it's going to be. You've got the San Francisco 49ers who, if they can not be injury prone, they are an absolute contender in the NFC West. The Arizona Cardinals, you've got J.J. Watt, you've got Nuke Hopkins, you've got Kyler Murray, and he's got so many weapons to choose from. There's not a doubt in my mind that the NFC West is going to be fun with just those two teams alone. Then you bring up Russell Wilson. Can Russ continue to cook? Is he happy with his spot in the franchise? A lot like Aaron Rodgers. Where does his alliance lead? Where Where's his kind of lean here? That's where I'm kind of intrigued at when it comes to the way I rank out these divisions. Those three alone. And then obviously we got to also bring up you know, the L.A. Rams. The L.A. Rams are a team that feels like they've been snake bit the last couple of years. And who's to say the conversation doesn't shift towards the Rams being a fringe playoff team. And a lot like the NFC North, the AFC North, excuse me, the NFC West could have two spots in the wild card round, depending on how things go. Because I think the San Francisco 49ers stay healthy. They are a damn good team. Seahawks will always be a playoff team slash fringe playoff team. You give Russell Wilson some help in the offensive line and give him some weapons, things are looking good. Hell, if Richard Sherman comes back to the Seahawks, I'd love that. Yes, he's a much older guy, but I think you'd want to give them a slight edge. So that's kind of how I have things going in the NFC and AFC. I think the two most intriguing divisions are the AFC North and the NFC West and I think overall the AFC is a lot more just heavily stacked. I can't wait to see how the 2021 season goes. We'll talk more about that down the road, but we'll kind of get to some more in-depth on the Saints to start our number two. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Asia 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Back after this. famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD Raider and Acadia on a sports station. Before we wrap up hour number one, I want to get some thoughts on, you know, the, the big news of the day, of the week, I should say, T.J. Finley leaving LSU. He's entering the transfer portal. I'll probably say that to start hour number two because I want to just say this. Like hearing that rejoin, maybe immediately remember over the weekend on Sunday, I actually wound up watching Dazed and Confused for the first time in a good while. My God, that is a phenomenal movie. I'd say probably one of my top ten movies all time, like bar none. It's so... It's a perfect look at the 1970s, and also it's a perfect look of what it was like. Like it, anybody who was a teenager at one point or another was doing some of the same stuff that you saw in this movie. Maybe not, maybe not breaking the mailboxes, 
But still, like, it just felt like it was like a core piece of Americana at that point in time. And it feel, felt evergreen. I mean, the, the soundtrack was amazing, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you had Falk, Hat, Aerosmith, you know, Ted Nugent, Pete, Peter Frampton. Mind you, not, the li- not a whole lot of live stuff. Kiss. Everything. Like, the soundtrack was awesome. The cinematography looked great. The way they had everything still look like it was in the 1970s. You had a lot of future stars there. Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, stand head and shoulders above the rest. But I was just sitting there. I was like, this is an amazing movie. And then I was like, you hear the L-I-V-I-N thing. I'm like, this is why I love this movie. It is so just, it's well done. It's well it's well paced. You know, because it was about like I think an hour and 40 minutes. And I watched it. I was like, this is really freaking good from start to finish. Can't I was going to talk about, you know, Days and Confused and watching that. I've, I've seen it like a handful of times before, but I hadn't watched it in a good while. And I saw it was on Peacock. I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and watch this thing. And it was so darn good. If you haven't seen it in a while, go check it out. Well worth your time. And I'm out of time. And hour number one, hour number two, coming up next, Apollo Dez joins the program at 1230. We'll be talking about the Houston Astros so back after this on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Hour number two of two. uh, Excuse me. Hour two of. Two and a half hours. I, I don't know how to exactly word that out. But welcome, everyone. Hour two of Under the Dome with CD is officially underway. We're coming to you live for the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Appreciate each and every one of you for listening on Louisiana Saturday afternoon. Be it through the old school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. And also the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com. Even your smart speaker gimmicks. Just tell your smart speaker to play 1037 the game, and you'll get us in crystal clear audio. It is absolutely perfection. But speaking of perfection, we're going to start off hour two with a phone call. Looks like we got somebody on the 1037 the game hotline. I am going to either say it's Dalton, and that'll be TV's Dylan, or it's somebody else in the hotline. Hello, you're on under, under the dome. Hey, uh, this, the number seven pick of the Saints, is he a pretty good football player? Draft pick? Kawan Baker, uh, uh, conveniently you bring this up. I'll, I'll bring Kawan Baker in a few minutes. Thanks for the call. You know, again, sometimes you get these unusual calls, but I appreciate him doing it because I'm going to get to my thoughts on the Saints picks that they had, including the seventh-round pick. So I appreciate that call. 
So let's get into it right now. New Orleans Saints, I'll break down each pick and give you my grade. First off, we got to go with Peyton Turner, defensive end out of Houston. It's a D-plus grade for me because I don't hate the pick as much as I did about a week ago. I hate the pick more because of when you got him. He felt like he was probably going to fall into the third round. He was going to be a day-two guy. He was listed as a day-two guy. That was the best player available you had on your board, a round two to three guy. What was going on there? I understand you were busy trying to hustle and get some better draft picks. I just feel like it's a D-plus grade for me, and that's, that just drops their the Saints' overall grade down a good bit. Because outside that, they did a really decent job. D-plus for Peyton Turner. Pete Warner, linerback out of Ohio State. Didn't a whole heck of a lot about the kid before Friday night. A lot like what I saw with the Saints. But then again, second round, it's hard to kind of understand what's going on with him. But, you know, this is a guy who spent a lot of time with the Ohio State Buckeyes. And Ohio State players have that great potential. I think this is a guy that could wind up being somebody to look forward to. He had a really good stat line his senior year, 131 total tackles, 13.5 for loss, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. He led the Buckeyes with 54 tackles in 2020. That's impressive to see a guy that is that was leading the team and had a really good stat line his senior year before he – I mean, that was that just alone is impressive. And 54 solo tackles. So I'm intrigued to see how this guy is going to mesh with the Buckos. Oh, he entered his senior season, excuse me, with 131 total tackles. So he led the Buckeyes his senior season with 54 total tackles. Needless to say, this is somebody that I was okay with. It filled a need. And I think more importantly, this is a guy that's going to build up a lot of depth because who's to say DeMario Davis sticks around any longer. He could be a little bit more of a flexible guy where he doesn't necessarily be more be more of a Sam or a Mike. He could be a Will and move around depending on how things go. I'm again, intrigued to see how that one's going to go. That's why I give it a B. And then the third round pick, they traded up to get this one. They didn't give up a whole lot, so I was happy about that. But then you want to get Paulson Adebo, cornerback out of Stanford. He opted out of the 2020 season, so you know he's fresh, doesn't have a whole lot of injuries, which is a big reason why, going back to the Peyton Turner pick, I have him so low as my grade because those injuries are a huge red flag. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, you had maybe a shoulder injury, those things don't necessarily, it's a lower extremity, it's a lower, it's a leg injury, ACL. Who's to say that doesn't pop up again? Case in point, a few years ago, remember Howley Kikaha had a really great rookie season? And then he kind of flamed out because his injuries kept coming back and hurting him. Hopefully these things are sorted away. But again, third-round pick, Paulson Adebo, this is an A-. This is a guy everybody that I've been hearing, talking to, reading, has said this is a guy that's going to have a ton of potential. And that's a huge upside. So it's an A minus for me. I think it's, again, fills a need. You needed to build up that secondary. I think this is going to be one of those moves of the future. And Adebo could be the Alvin Kamara of this draft. Again, third round pick, you trade it up. It fits the same exact model. I think Paulson Adebo is the guy that's going to wind up being the standout on this draft class, at least in my mind, in a weekend. Then we get to the fourth round pick, Peyton Turner. 
Peyton, uh, no, excuse me, Ian Book. Listen to me, I want to get frustrated. I'm a Peyton Turner, but I want to get frustrated at Ian Book and the fourth round pick. Again, I think I'm going to give this a bad grade more because of the fact that you went above and beyond to go get him versus waiting till he falls. Because who's to say he wasn't going to wind up being a, you know, undrafted free agent or a sixth round guy? Because you're in day three, anything can happen. Ian Book out of Notre Dame. I don't hate it. I, I don't love it for sure. I just think it was an okay pick that felt like maybe t- he tipped his hand like weeks ago, saying on the Dan Patrick show, yeah, he said he didn't remember that. Bull, you remembered saying that. You knew you were saying that. And Ian Book was a head scratcher more because you probably could have got him in day, later in day three rather than in the fourth round. Seems like a lot of good potential for him. And I like it. I'm not. I'm. I'm never going to outright hate some of the Saints' draft picks because some of the outside of Peyton Turner, the instant reaction I had. But after looking at some things, I'm okay with it. It's just the injuries are a big red flag for me. Ian Book. It's more. How is Ian Book going to be used? Is he going to be used more as a offensive? Is he be used as more of a true quarterback if Jameis Winston doesn't work out, or is he going to be more of the Taysom Hill spark plug kind of guy? He's, I watched some film on him, and he looks good. He has a little bit of happy feet. In it. Mind you, last year he played in the ACC and played in the toughest, one of the toughest conferences in the country outside the SEC after being an independent, after playing relative jabronis. And they managed to make it to the college football playoff with Ian Book. They didn't beat Clemson because of Ian Book, but he looked good. And I, I don't hate the pick as much as I did when it happened. Because it felt frustrating. I was just like, come on now. Maybe also I was dead tired because I had basically got next to no sleep that week. But, you know, it is what it is. Whenever I think about Ian Book, I just don't know what the future holds for him. Where does he land with the Saints team? Is he going to be a Garrett Grayson or is he going to be that hidden gem that's going to buck the trend of NFL, of the Saints players drafting bad quarterbacks? They have never had a really good NFL draft when it comes to quarterbacks. They've hit on a lot of guys. They've hit on a lot of stars. Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, case in point. But when it comes to quarterbacks, they can never get it right. Garrett Grayson is prime example. They they drafted last year Tommy Stevens in the seventh round and moved him into the tight end and let him go, and he went to the Carolina Panthers. Makes you wonder. But Ian Book gets a D here. I think it's just the fact you could have probably gotten him late in the game. Landon Young is their six-round pick, 206 overall. I like this pick. Landon Young, offensive attack out of Kentucky. Some really good depth on an offensive line that you just don't know how things are going to pan out for certain guys, how much longer you'll have a guy like a little clap in there. And add the fact that this fits something that Sean Payton loves to have. It fits a model of having a more versatile offensive tackle or offensive lineman. Because he loves to have these guys that are cross-trained, guys that could be left tackle, right tackle, or even a guard in some cases. Andres Pete, a prime example of that. Early on in his career, he was expected to be that cross-training type of guy. And I think Sean Payton loves those guys. At the end of the day, it is what it is. But I like what I'm seeing from him. Landon Young has a lot of potential, huge upside here. And I think considering the pick, I'm giving it a C plus. 
And then the final pick, we get to our caller's question now, and that is Kawan Baker. And don't get me wrong, Kawan Baker is interesting. Wide receiver out of Alabama. I'm going to go ahead and pull up something I saw from friend Dave Schultz. He put this out because I was like, okay, tell me about this guy because I have no idea who the heck he is. I don't remember a whole lot about him, so I'm going to look into this. So he brought this up. This comes from Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl, and here's his height, measurements, all that stuff. He's a big guy, 6'4", 210 pounds. That alone should have you intrigued because a big body, big physical wideout, that could work out really well. He seems like he could be a diamond in the rough type of pick. The only knock I have on him, I think it's his 40, 4.47. They had 4.44 his second attempt. If his number was a little – if it was like a 440, like it was a 4.4 and on the 40-yard dash, I probably would be okay with it. He's getting 210 pounds versus like somebody like a Elijah Mitchell who ran a freaking like 4.32, but he dropped down to about 120 pounds soaking wet holding a brick. At the end of the day, this is a good pick, but I'm interested to see how he sticks on this franchise. He's a C-minus pick. Again, Saints have been able to do a great job getting wide receivers late in the NFL draft and done a solid job on it over the years. Case in point, Marcus Colston, one of the Saints' first picks of the Sean Payton era, and they did a great job getting that guy in-house and setting him up for a lot of potential future. But who's to say that he doesn't turn out to be somebody that you never really use. I mean, Adam Troutman looks really good in his rookie season, but outside of that, I mean, Traquan Smith hasn't reached his potential yet, but he's been on the come up. Michael Thomas, obviously, he has been the guy, the, the wide receiver one, after the whole Brandon Cooks thing. Which Brandon Cooks was good, then he didn't pan out. Kenny Stills had so, he had so much potential. My God, Kenny Stills was a damn good player. Out of college. And then he was with the Saints and played really well, but then he they had to trade him. They had to get rid of him. He's underwhelmed in a lot of different aspects, but I liked what I saw from him in certain games. Mind you, it's not like a Nick Toon getting him in the fourth round in 2012. That was probably the worst one. But, but again, seventh-round picks, those are very hit and miss in terms of getting like real value, getting those, those day three picks. It is like feast or famine here. Marcus Colson is probably the one exception to the rule. And it was the best pick, one of the best picks Sean Payton made in terms of absolute value in his era. In terms of the overall grade for the Saints NFL draft, I liked some of the later picks. Outside the first round and the fourth round pick, I can live with this one. There was just a lot of questions around like the overall. So I'm giving it a C grade. I think it's lifted by the Adebo and Pete Warner pick. And it probably could be a C-plus to a B-minus type thing, if not for overreaching on Ian Book and Peyton Turner. If you had gotten more position-minded guys or better guys in those positions, defensive end, you had Gregory Russo get picked a couple of picks later, guy out of Miami who had gotten a lot of love in the in the big boards. It's just knowing where you are in the draft and understanding, hey, here's what they've got, here's what we got, let's go ahead and try and figure out a way to make this work. So to answer the caller's question at the beginning of the segment, I think Kawan Baker's got some potential. He seems like a good guy. 
and he's very much a C minus. And I think that's about what what you say about a lot of seventh round picks. It's a C minus. You just don't know what this guy truly brings to the table. Overall, though, I give this draft a grade of a C, just right in the middle. Not too bad, not too horrible. But mind you, we can't necessarily grade it until about three, four years down the road. It's not like recruiting. We can't we can't make these instant reactions. I'm going to. Is the fact that's kind of what I do. I, I that's why I loved doing the broadcast we did last week on Facebook. I was able to spend some time actually doing research and talking and trying to talk through all these picks and give my reactions is we love to give these reactions, be it, you know, over the top overreactions like I was. Is I'm not gonna lie. Live as it happened, I hated that pick of Peyton Turner. But after doing some research, I still don't like it because you could you overreached a bit, and I feel like he could very well be a not paying out guy. And I had the fact that, that he's in a position that's going to be more along the lines of, hey, let's go ahead and move him as a rotational guy. You don't draft a rotational guy in the first round. That's the biggest sin of it all in this draft. A big reason why I feel like the draft grade overall for them, for me, went down a good bit. But it's under the dome with CD. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The hotline is open 337-706-0111. Maybe we'll finally get into the TJ Finley stuff because I don't feel like talking a whole lot about the New Orleans Pelicans. At least not yet. Back up to this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Sports Talk Radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Let's get some college football for a little bit because obviously one of the big news stories of the week involved one TJ Finley entering the transfer portal despite starting five games in the 2020 season that wound up being kind of one of those you know national championship hangovers. He entered the transfer portal first reported by Fox 8, w, I believe it's WVUE out in NOLA. Those guys dropped the news first and the quarterback room I think at the end of the day, it's Miles Brennan, Max Johnson, and Garrett Nussmeyer. Those are your big three. Those are the three scholarship quarterbacks you have right now. Obviously, you'll have Walker Howard coming in in 2021. I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go, but obviously the Pontchartula native looked good in the regular season. But spring practice, he was probably a good, let's say, five, six steps behind, if we're being honest with each other. He was underwhelming, and I think there's a big reason why he left, and it's a, it was inevitable because the second the season ended and the second spring practice started, and you saw Max Johnson get the first reps. Now, mind you, Coach Ed Ogeron can say all he wants, and I, I'm serious. He can say all he wants about how he gave him the first few snaps because of the fact that, quote-unquote, he got the team where they needed to be. He got the team wins. He finished the season off with two wins, so yeah. 
completely understand where he's coming from saying that. That said, I think the second he said that, it was signaling to TJ Finley, hey, you know, odds are you are going to be the odd man out. You have the least to give us. And it's not a knock. It's the fact you've got so many other guys that are probably outright better in certain aspects of the game versus what he's brought to the table. So I think there's a chance where the New Orleans or the LSU Tigers said, hey, more likely than not, we're either going Max Johnson, Miles Brankert, and that's why I'll be the understudy, and then we'll see what happens after that. Because who's to say, you know, TJ Finley is there next year after Miles Brennan is done and then, you know, Mike, Max Johnson establishes himself. Then you've got to deal with Walker Howards of the world. Then you've got to deal with Garrett Nussmeyer. Who's to say if, you know, Arch Manning isn't in the play book sooner rather than later? Who's to say he's not in the offing? And we all know how much people have put him over. Who's to say he's another guy that could very well be in that conversation? I don't necessarily think so. I think he'll be more of an old Miss guy in my mind, just based off of past reputation. And it doesn't matter how long you're kind of recruiting somebody like that, he is going to keep this thing mums the word until it is officially time. You can talk to as much as you want. I'm sure the family will have some influence there. At least that's just the way I think about it. If you got, we want to jump in the conversation about the Saints draft or TJ Finley transferring out of LSU, you can call us up on the hotline, 337-706-0111. And let's get to it right now. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, T.D., what's up, my boy? Hey, T., what's happening, brother? Not a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot. Just enjoying this beautiful weather. Dude, it's been absolutely fantastic on this Mother's Day weekend. How, how, how you been, dude? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good in here inside the first South Farm Credit Studios enjoying heck of a show, extra half hour. Can't complain. Yeah, you got it. Doing a wonderful job, bro, especially by yourself. Hey, man, that's, that's how we do it every Saturday. It's just by myself, manning the phones somehow, some way. Every now and again, we'll get one of these guys on a dial tone. But what you want to get into, T? Uh, two questions. All right. Do you think TJ Finley goes to a Power 5 school? And my second question is, do we replace him with defense or offense? I'm going to hang up and listen, man. Love your show, CD. Keep it up. Bro. All right. All right, T. I appreciate the hell of that. But first off, when it comes to TJ Finley at a Power 5 school, I'll say there's a chance. It's If I if I were to kind of give it a percent chance, I'd say there's probably about a 15 to 20% chance. SEC school outside of Kentucky and South Carolina, hell no. I just don't know who else is going to take his – who's, who's going to be in that spot? And who moves – Who's going to wind up taking him? Because I don't know what the quarterback situation is across college football. It's strictly from an SEC and a group of five Sunbelt CUSA type perspective. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes more group of five or FCS. Because it, you, the talent we saw at the spring game really made people just stand at attention and say, hey, he's not a power five SEC quarterback. I don't think he ever really was to begin with, but he was a good body to have. He was a reliable guy to use. Now he's in the transfer portal. I think TJ Finley probably winds up being FCS or group of five. That's kind of where I'm landing. 
in terms of the percent, 15 to 20% chance he goes to a Power 5 program. Now, the Power 5 program, that's not a guarantee he's going to play, but it's a guarantee that he's going to be on a roster, and he could have a chance to play as a second stringer. Does he want to be a second stringer, or does he want to be the guy leading the team? Because if he wants to be the guy leading the team, he goes to the group of five or FCS level. I saw some people bring it possibly grambling, which would, again, stay in the state of Louisiana would be great. But I just don't know quite how the rest of the world of college football and the way things stand, at least from that perspective. I appreciate the call, T. In terms of your second question, who do they replace it with in terms of a scholar? I think you probably are going to go more on the defensive side of football because you've got some really good weapons on off on offense, and you've got it's all about you know can the running back stay healthy? I think that'll obviously play into it as well. But I think they'll probably go more on the defensive side of the football in terms of a position in particular. I know you didn't ask that, but I'll go ahead and just throw that out there as well. Throw that log on the fire, and I'll go. I'll just go ahead and throw, go on a limb and say they go with a. A corner. They go with somebody that's going to be fitting into DBU type of system because at the end of the day, if you have just Derek Stingley Jr. and everybody else is kind of, you know, eh, I'm almost certain the Tigers' defense is going to continue to be torched like crazy. Before we take a quick timeout, though, let me tell you, we got some great stuff right now in the Rewards Club, and everybody loves winning free stuff. You can score big today by joining the 1037 Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. And one of those things is something that, like, I'm reading this now, and I, honestly, it's been a hot minute since I had it, at least since, like, COVID hit. That is some Dickies Barbecue Pit. You can win a $40 gift card. You can't, I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. You can win a $40 gift card to Dickies Barbecue Pit. There's one, like, a stone's throw away from the first South Farm Credit Studios, and my mouth is watering just talking about it. But heads up, you can only win this $40 gift card to Dickies Barbecue Pit by joining the 1037 The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. So make sure you go and sign up today. Say you do that on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon after the show. I would. Again, my mouth is watering just thinking about like going and get like a brisket sandwich from Dickies. It's not like right when that place opened, I was like, I gotta check this thing out. And hopefully it's not like the last time I went there because I went there like pre-COVID, like right before COVID hit. And they didn't have waffle fries. And that was a real just gut punch. I was like, man, I really want to, I really want a waffle fries. And I had to go somewhere else to go get fries, which is just kind of another gut punch in and of itself. It's all like how you have to go to Judy's Inn, which hot take city here. We're going to, we need, we need a hot take button here. Now I'm going to try to add that into the show is a hot take button. Judy's Inn is overrated. There I said it. I'm done with that take. It is overrated. Especially amongst like bur- local burger joints in in Lafayette and Acadian area, I think it's overrated. You can yell at me on social media if you want. I won't take any calls on that because I'm sure it will cause all hell to break loose. That and I've got a guest coming up in just a moment. Apollo Dez, we're talking Houston Astros baseball next, right here on 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. Back after this. The 
The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. We won't talk any soccer, I don't think, in this segment. At least I don't think so. But we got to talk some baseball right here, right now, with our guy. He's on the game hotline right now, part of Apollo Houston, the co-founder of Apollo Media. And that is the one, the only Apollo Des. He's on the 103.7 Game Hotline. Apollo, how's it going, man? What's up, brother, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I want to start things off with, I think, one of the biggest headlines to pop out of the Astros for quite a while is Justin Verlander saying he's not considering retirement, not by a long shot, had a meeting with the media yesterday, and says he's feeling good. Like, Do you think he's really going to stick around and play in the MLB a little bit longer at 38 years old after Tommy John? Yeah, I think so. I think with, with Justin Verlander, right, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the ultra-competitors we've ever seen in, in our generation. And so, um, unfortunately, when he got Tommy, you know, that's at that age, it's tough. And... um to hear his words and hear how his rehab's going, I, I 100% think we'll see him play uh, into his 40s. I don't think that will be in Houston, um, unfortunately, but uh, I think he will uh, try to keep going as long as he can. What do you think it would take to keep him around in Houston? Because obviously, I, I got in this conversation with somebody yesterday and saying essentially, like, who's to say he doesn't want to being a guy that moves into that? kind of Tom Brady-esque role where he doesn't necessarily take a huge like paycheck to stay, to stay with the Astros or go to go to any other team because he knows he's on almost borrowed time with Tommy John and had the fact that he's made his money and also he's, he's got Kate Upton and she's probably made a good bit of money as well. So it's not having to be worried about the money. At least, at least that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, look, the Astros just paid the guy $66 million for one start, and he mentioned it in his press conference, right? He says that East Adam and Dawes Adam. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they can get a, you know, a, a one, you know, one year, two year Tom Brady type deal that's really team friendly and that he's, he's made his money. Um, I could see him going back to Detroit, you know, and, and finish his career out there. Uh, you know, AJ's there as well. So I, I, there's, there's possibilities there for, for Justin Verlander. It'd be awesome if, we could somehow get a really team-friendly deal, um, but I mean, when when you your ROI for sixty-six million is one start, it's really hard to swallow that. <laughs> I'd have to agree with you on that take. But looking at the Astros, Astros so far this season, I think obviously one of the, the one of the big things was their very hot start, just dominating the Oakland A's, who continue to just not have Mike Fires pitch against the Astros. I saw it earlier today that they pretty much said he's going on the IL about 10 days before his next scheduled start. It seems pretty convenient, right? Yeah, I mean, when there's smoke, there's a ton of fire. I mean, it, it, he's been ducking the Astros since he ratted them out, you know, for the last two years. And uh, I don't know. It's it's always something with that guy when it, when it comes to a scheduled start against the Houston Astros. So I, I have no idea. Uh, I don't want to speculate on his injuries, but it just seems really weird every time that he's scheduled a start against Houston – Something comes up and he's on the IL and uh, and Oakland. I mean, they're playing damn good baseball right now. They they just kind of won't go away. And on the Astros side of things, we just got to keep keep getting wins and winning series because um, I think it's going to be a two horse race. I think the last time I, I came on in the station, we talked about you know who's it going to be, and I just think it's going to be Oakland and Houston down the stretch at the very end. 
And I'm kind of in that same boat, Apollo. I think it's just the fact that you've got everything with this team, with the A's right now. They got completely red hot with that, what was it, like a 13-game win streak after they Correct. started off just on an absolute, like one of the worst starts I've seen in a good while. And then the Astros started slumping, but then they turned it around, won like seven of their last ten heading into that series against the New York Yankees. And that alone just made me kind of feel a little more confident on the, in this team especially after the whole COVID-5 situation where you had guys who were out for, like, two weeks due to COVID positives. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the Astros were, were, were starting to peak and, and roll, and then the COVID shutdown, and then it, it just it, it blew my mind that there were other teams in the league that had the same COVID protocol, safety, you know, safety and health protocols, and their games were suspended. And meanwhile, the Astros had to bring up, you know, six guys from the alternate site and yeah, it was Detroit, and yeah, it was the Rockies, but still, I mean, when when you're losing 60% of your lineup, and those guys are all all stars, it's it's tough to replace those guys. And so it just it was a really weird two weeks there. And then I mean, the Astros are are kind of getting back on into form because I think if we take care of business this weekend, that'd be four of the last five series that we've won. Obviously, we didn't win in New York, but. Um, it's just all about winning series right now for the for the Strohs and, and getting hot going into the dog days of summer. No doubt, and you know one of the big guys that's absolutely gotten hot is Jordan Alvarez. He is a again. We I think we talked about the last time you were on one of three seventy game. He has absolutely been just in fuego as of late. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a, like a quiet confidence. He I think someone on the timeline said he they kind of reminds me of Tim Duncan you know, for the Spurs back in the day, like it's just, he's going to go out there and produce and it's not going to be uh showboating. It's not going to be, you know, he's going to bang on his chest and he's just going to go out there and produce and he's doing it at a really high level. And I don't even think he's, it's almost like he's in a slump because the power numbers aren't there, right? Like his, his average is like 340. He's got five tanks, 18 RBIs. Uh, he's up there in, in the league league, uh, or excuse me, the team lead in hits, but you know, we're used to seeing, you know, balls rocketing off the wall and up in the upper deck, and we really haven't seen that yet. So once that comes on as well, I mean, you're talking MVP talks at that point. And, and, and the whole focus right now has been on Yuli Guerrero, and it should be, because Yuli Guerrero is a man on fire. And Jordan Alvarez is literally matching him at bat by at bat, and no one's really talking about it. Nobody's really. You're right. Nobody has been talking about Yuli Gurriel and the hot start, especially red hot, the last several games. No doubt in my mind, he has proven himself. And add the fact that this is an Astros team where it's not like necessarily every day he's going to be in that particular part of the lineup. It's every. I mean, in fact, like Thursday afternoon, we had the Astros midday game right here on 1037 The game I was hearing every time Jordan had a big play, Yuli was right behind him doing something else to help get this team back into that contest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you, when you look at this Astros lineup, obviously, you, you know, the MVP with Altuve, Bregman, Correa, but the complimentary guys that are standalones in, in other lineups, the Jordan Alvarez, the Yuli Gurriel, the Michael Brantley, those guys are just placeholders right now. They're just constant, constant at-bats and really, really good baseball players in this lineup because we've seen it. Baseball players get streaky. They're off and on, but it almost seems like Jordan Alvarez and Michael Brantley and Yuli Guerrero, they just, they're just constant. They're going to go out there. They're going to get their hits and they're going to keep this lineup going. And I think the way they constructed this lineup is um, really unique because 
you don't have a lot of teams throughout the league with those guys that are just going to be constant, um, constant hits and constant batters that are going to produce at a high level. Talking right now, Apollo Dez, co-founder of Apollo Media, talking some Houston Astros with him. And looking at just the way the Astros have been just this week alone, they start off that series against the Yankees. They lose two two out of three, but they come away with the series sweep on Tuve's birthday. They come up with avoiding the sweep in game three, thanks to Tuve's birthday three run bomb. How like is Jose Altuve just public enemy number one forever in New York City, or is it Correa? It's got to be Jose Altuve. I mean, they're they're the Yankee fans are hung up on the Judge MVP being robbed on top of the trash can banging in the ALCS and allegedly, um, and he's just public enemy number one. And I think he's wearing that scarlet letter. And he's not boisterous like Carlos Correa is when he's you know rounding third base and Carlos puts his you know hand up to his ear to hear the crowd. When, when Jose Altuve hit that home run to essentially win the game that that day. I mean, what do you do? He did what he's, he's done his entire decade, put his head down, trot around the bases, get some love to his teammates, snap him up, and he's in the dugout. And I just think that is um, a consummate professional and speaks high volumes of the character of a man Jose Altuve is. Because I said it, I would have been stripping around the bases, showing them I don't have a buzzard, and blowing kisses to the Bronx faithful if that was me. And Jose Altuve just put his head down and, and just enjoyed the moment. I'll say this, even though it was in the Bronx and you knew the crowd, like even though it was 20% attendance, it felt like the energy at Yankee Stadium for the first time in a long time, it was actually there. And I, I'll give I'll give the Bronx fans credit for actually showing some form of energy because for a while it felt like they just were sitting on their hands every time you saw them on TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had a couple of guys go up there on the Apollo team and they said it was, it was as loud as uh, certain, certain games in Minute Maid Park with full capacity. They, they really came out and uh, drove to, to to boo the uh, alleged cheaters of the Houston Astros. So even though like um, half the team that was cheating isn't even there anymore. Yeah, it's they came out and <laughs> that's all you can ask for. And I and I think the guys and they and they said it too. Like it's it's not an atmosphere they've never played in before because they've been in the Bronx in October and gotten booed. Like it's not a new experience, right? Uh, now they're just saying cheaters. That's the only thing, the difference. And so they played in hostile crowds, and, and this team has so much October DNA. It's nothing new for them. And I think we're seeing that when they go on the road. It's, they kind of come together and embrace embrace it and uh, just go out there and let their, their baseball plays, you know, do the talking. I'd agree with you. I'm Again, just looking forward to seeing how things are going to go for this team, especially down the stretch. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that this series – coming up with the Angels and yeah, the, then you're kind of getting started with the Rangers series, but I want to kind of focus on the Blue Jays for a minute. After all, they yeah. did come away with a big 10-4 to win but how much is it staying that you know George Springer is currently out on the IL in his first series back inside Minute Maid? Because I think that it's safe to say that like, it's not like some other players that have left. There's still some respect and some love for Springer. It's not like Mike Fires who if he ever pitches again against the Astros, especially at Minute Maid, he is going to get, oh to get booted to oblivion. Oh, for sure. I mean, Oakland will never let that happen, apparently, because it's just <laughs> never it's never going to happen. But I do agree with that. But with on the George Springer thing, yeah, I mean, he grew like you said, he grew up in Houston. He grew up as a as a young kid to a man in the organization. He was there with in the in the bad days. He was the guy, the pick, you know, the the future. And we 
we won. And we we went from losing you know, 100-plus games to winning 100-plus games, and he was the focal point. He was the guy. He was the leadoff guy, the World Series MVP. And um, it's it, it sucks as a fan that, you know, we don't have that anymore. But uh, as an unbiased journalist, I just love that, you know, he's up with his family now. He's He got paid. He got his He got his money that he deserves, and uh, hopefully he can get healthy. I wish he was playing this weekend. Uh, because it's been really cool to see number four out in uh, center field, even though it, it sucks it's in Toronto blue and not the Astros Navy. It, it would have been so much better to stay in the Astros Navy, but obviously couldn't keep him around. And there's one more before I let you go. We talk about letting people go. Carlos Correa, obviously, the whole situation with him. Do you think, like, if he has this, like, incredible year, the Astros like, you know what, let's go ahead and back up the Brinks truck for him to make him happy. Or do you just not see that being a thing? Uh, as of right now in May, I don't think that's a thing. I, I think that um, Carlos and his camp believe that they think he's X value and the Astros see it as a Y value. And we saw it when they kind of put a hard cap, you know, going into spring training. They said before the season, you know, we, if you want this done, we got to get it done. And there's an extreme disconnect there. So, um, that's tough to overcome. Like I said before, agents don't turn their phones off. I'm sure there's back channeling and, and the front office is reaching out to Correa's camp and, and vice versa to see, you know, where they are, you know, down the road on that. But uh, from my perspective, I just I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think that um, there's interesting, interesting things that Pedro Leone is now playing shortstop in the minor leagues after coming from Cuba as an outfielder. Um, that's a very, very interesting data point. Um, obviously, you have Jeremy Pena, who is a, uh, a top prospect as well, who is injured right now, who's a shortstop. So, um, Carlos Correa's don't grow on trees. I understand that uh, as an organization, they want to save where they can, but um, his October accolades and everything that he does in big moments is, is very hard to get. I mean, you either have that or you don't. And so, if it's not the Astros, uh, a team's going to be really, uh, really lucky to get a talent like Carlos Correa. All right, I got one more question. I got 30 seconds left in this segment. But yep. Albert Pujols obviously got released earlier this week. It got DFA'd, I should say, designated for assignment. How excited are you to not have to deal with Albert Pujols with the Angels after being the thorn in the Astros' side for the better part of, like, 15 years? Yeah, it just feels like uh, an exorcism happened. The demons are casted away. It feels like Thanos at the end where he can just rest um, and, and look at his pasture or field. Like, it's it's done. It's over with. It's He's been a constant pro, a true Hall of Famer, and a thorn in our sides for near 20 years. And uh, I'm I'm happy he's retired. It sucks with the way he, he's going out being DFA'd. I think the Angels kind of did him dirty like yeah. that. But um, he's a Hall of Famer through and through, first ballot. I'm just glad he never won a World Series with the Angels after winning that tenure, after getting that 10-year contract. Apollo, thank you so yeah. much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the weekend. Hey, you too. Appreciate it, brother. All right, that was Apollo Dez. We're going to take a quick timeout, wrap up hour two. We got another 30 minutes left in the show. What in the world are we going to talk about? You'll find out next, right here on 1037. The game under the dome resumes next. Octagon to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between. 
The world-famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. And welcome back Under the Dome with CD right here at 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Appreciate Apollo Des for joining the program on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon. We got an extra half hour to go. We'll talk some LSU baseball in a little bit, but I want to talk some Cajuns baseball for a moment because that team has had the struggle bus all over the place, but I'm hoping things are starting to turn around. And what I saw last night is a step in the right direction. Maybe it's the fact that you got the packed house back at the Teague with full attendance allowed now. You don't have to worry about anything from that perspective. I think the media box, the press box is a little bit different. But, you know, social mask protocol, that's not necessarily in there anymore. You don't have to have it. But still, going to be a lot of fun to see how this team works, especially at home. They had a season high in hits, 11-1 to win over North Alabama. It's expected. This should be a series of the Cajuns. Again, it's that S word we keep talking about. Not the one I can't say on the radio, but the S word meaning, you know, they should, should win this series and win it handily. They do that. I think that this team is starting to kind of right the ship. Now, are they going to wind up going to a regional, hosting it, what have you? I don't necessarily think so. I feel like the fact they're playing in the Sun Belt, which is just overall, it's not a great division conference as opposed to like other years. It feels like to me, the Cajuns have a chance, have a chance to be a contender. But at the end of the day, these group of fives or mid-majors in college basketball. You have to win your tournament to really solidify a spot, especially the way the Cages have been performing all season. This is what they have to do. And Spencer Arigetti, after having like a couple really bad starts, he is back in control. Cages, they're still above 500, which is a great thing. It's a little better than what we've seen from LSU. And I'm not going to hate on LSU because I feel like they have had some really tough moments and I think they've they've got they've grown from those moments and now's the time to kind of make hay before you, you don't have any more hay to put in the barn right but we'll talk about them later but again Cajuns got a really good win Cajuns softball they've already secured a conference title so it's like they pretty much are in firm control of their destiny hosting a regional don't necessarily think so but maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later We'll be back after this, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. We'll be back with more of Under the Dome with CD, an extra half hour. Yes, you heard me right. Not just one hour, not just two hours, but two and a half, baby. He's got LSU-Auburn. We can get started up in just a little bit. Back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. Hey! 
And welcome, everybody. Good afternoon. About to be getting ready for LSU baseball. Right here, 103.7 the game. Hopefully you have a good one so far. If you're popping that first top, get a little day drinking going on. Appreciate you. Hey, if you're getting those honeydews in for this Mother's Day weekend, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We appreciate the heck out of y'all, especially my mom. Appreciate you and appreciate y'all for listening to us. Coming to you live as always. Feels weird to do this for the third hour, but, you know, we got two and a half hours. It is what it is, brother. Let's go ahead and get into it. We're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we certainly are looking good. And, of course, appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, the 103.7 thegamecom and also your favorite smart speaker. Just tell your smart speaker to play 103.7 The Game. If you have Alexa, make sure you re-add that Alexa skill for 103.7 The Game. That way you can listen to us crystal clear audio from your home. Don't have to worry about static. You just let that thing play, you know, Amazon Alexa, Google Home as well. My phone, I'm surprised, hasn't necessarily been triggered all show long. So for once, my phone actually does what I want it to do. That's a different conversation for a different day. But also, appreciate you listening in. If you're listening in via that old school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, the LSU Tigers. We're leading you up to that big game, game three. The the Tigers looking for that series sweep, and you'll hear it right here. Starting at 1.30, pregame, 2 o'clock, first pitch. This is going to be a crucial game because I think LSU has every chance to really set themselves up in great shape heading into the SEC tournament because I haven't like looked a whole lot at the SEC baseball standings lately, but I'm going to go ahead and pull those up right now for you. Because why the hell not? Good guy. I don't mind doing that for you. I mean, LSU, the next two two out of the next three series, or the final three series, they're playing teams that are all in that same kind of big cluster. Alabama and A&M are your next two series after today. You're just behind Alabama, who's right at 500 in SEC play. You're 9-14, and 14, which isn't great, but you play the bulk of your schedules against Tennessee, Vanderbilt. You haven't played Florida. Thank God you haven't played Florida. because I, I think that team would just fall apart if they played Florida. But you played Tennessee, you played Vanderbilt, and you played Mississippi State, and you played Arkansas. Spoiler, those are your two top two teams in each division. Now, obviously, it's not going based off division when it comes to the SEC tournament. Strictly in terms of how the conference, in terms of the title races go, that's where we're at. A&M is right, bo- right below LSU to end the season, six and sixteen right now, six and sixteen. They're they're almost as bad as Auburn is. Getting this series sweep over Auburn is going to loom large. Is one that gets you to double digits, and we always talk about potential numbers. And I feel like LSU, if they want to host a regional, which seems highly unlikely, and I mean hosting a regional as in they're actually going to be. Inside Alec Box because this year's a little this one year's a lot different than others because you're not having to play this game where hey you know you're trying to get to a certain number when it comes to LSU you're going to be trying to outbid other teams I know before I think it'd be 
like this week, they're supposed to announce the complete regional and super regional sites based off of the bids that are put in. And I wouldn't be surprised if Alec Box is one of them because, one, LSU would love to have the money from these from this tournament, to have the money to be a regional or super regional host. And I'd love for that to be the idea. Think about it. If you want to be on TV, if you want to put college baseball in the biggest light possible, Alec Box is one of, if not the cathedral of college baseball. A lot of people here in the area would agree with that, but I'm sure – Looking across the country, I'd say Bluebell Park over in College Station, that's a pretty good one. Texas Stadium is also a really strong-looking stadium. Now, how are you going to kind of divvy this out? I'm sure, you know, you know the, the, gaut, um, the, not the gauchos, the dirtbags. Long Beach State could very well be a place that becomes a host site because every, every couple of years the dirtbags get involved in it. Which, by the way, greatest team name of all time, the Long Beach State dirtbags. That's a damn good team. The Gauchos, I think they could be given a host. UCLA deserves one. There's probably going to be several in California. The East Coast, I'd say Coastal Carolina, definitely should try and put in a bid. The Cajuns should even put in a bid. I think the Teague is, a, is especially now, versus what it was, what, about seven, eight years ago, when the Cajuns hosted a regional and a super regional with that incredible 2014 season. When they had to basically build what looked like a duck blind to house the four letter network so they could air the broadcast, so they could have the play by play guys, because the press box definitely wouldn't adhere to social distancing rules back in the day. Because I'll tell you what, that's exactly what they did. They had to do that. And that was a wake up call for the Cajuns. I think to a certain extent they're already thinking about doing these renovations at the Teague, but finally being able to put forth the effort to go do this was huge. And now, now that it's like finished up and completed, Cajun Field, excuse me, the Teague, is absolutely one of those cathedrals, especially in terms of the mid-majors. Cajun should put in a bid to host Rachel. Because, again, in terms of money, that would be huge for them. Anybody who has a spot that has an opportunity to host a regional, that'd be great. But jump back to LSU Auburn. Because the lineup's out right now. It all kind of follows relatively the same what we've seen over the course of this week. Batting first, Trey Morgan. Batting second, Dylan Cruz. Gavin Dugai batting third. And then Cade Doty's batting cleanup. I'm intrigued by that. Then you've got Giovanni DiGiacomo. I almost feel like calling him Giovanni DiGiorno. Or DiGiorno. Like I'm a, if you ever watch JoJo's, you know what I'm talking about. Jordan Thompson batting sixth. Brody Drost batting seventh. Drew Bianco batting eighth. Alex Malazzo going to be in the nine-hole the catcher, and he's done a pretty decent job the last couple games after you saw Hayden Travinsky be done for the year. He was a hell of a catcher and hell of a hand in that lineup. Makai Hilliard is going to be getting the start for the Tigers this afternoon, and he has had a lot of ups and downs. And I think at the end of the day, you've got to have everybody on their A game. And he's one of those guys that has to have like a phenomenal performance. But I think it's also going to be prudent that this offense takes care of business against Auburn, who has a starting pitcher that's not great at all. 0-3, 8.20 ERA. Makai Hilliard's got a 4-0 record, but he has a 5.04. So I think it's safe to say that you need to be able to try and hit on him early and often if you're LSU and you've got guys that have gotten hot. 
Guys that have been very consistent all year long. Case in point, Trey Morgan, 366 batting. If your two your heart of the lineup has a 366 and 352 batting one two. Then you got K Doty batting cleanup. He's at 311, right behind him. Giovanni DiGiacomo out there. He is currently at 329. That is. I'm just, I'm, again, looking forward to seeing how things are going with this team. But Giovanni DiGiacomo is going to be interesting to see how he works out. A lot of guys batting around 200 or so. Alex Moss only 173, but he hasn't had a whole lot of batting experience. He hasn't had a lot of ABs. Because, again, Hayden Dravinsky took over that spot pretty early on. It'll be fun to see how he kind of meshes into this lineup. He's only had 81 AB, so I can't necessarily take a whole lot away from that. It's a small sample size, but not as small as guys like Drew Bianco and Brody Drost, who both have a lesson. They have a pretty decent BA, but they've been used a lot more as pinch hitters versus actually getting starts. He's actually had a pretty good pinch hitting, but now it's a situation where you can't necessarily put him in there. Meanwhile, Looking at the other side, the Auburn Tigers have Ryan Bliss batting first, Tyler Miller batting second, two guys who are batting 300. They got Rankin Woley. First off, it feels like he's been in, been in the Auburn program forever and a day. Rankin Woley, but he's been woeful when it comes to hitting over the course of the weekend. He's batting 296, damn near 300, but he has just not been great against the Tiger, the purple and gold variety Tiger. Offense. Then you also have, or the pitching staff. Then we get to Stephen Williams. He's batting 259. Another near 300 guy, Cam Miller and Brody Moore, batting fifth and sixth. Kind of weird to see a guy in the four hole that's batting, that has one of the worst batting averages on the team, is what it is. Brody Moore batting 293. Ryan Dial batting 200. Then you have Case and Howell. And then Ward Judd rounding things out again. Richard Fitz is going to be the guy that's going to be pitching for Auburn. And the Tigers need to make sure to give him as much Fitz as humanly possible. Well, I was about the Cajuns earlier. Cajuns softball about to get started. I'll say this. UL Monroe has given this team, like, put the fear of God into them. But now the series is largely over. So it's all about moving forward and preparing for this, like, tournament play because the tournament's coming up before too long for Cajun softball. And I think the fact that they've been able to keep this, because they they have had a streak that I feel like will never be topped by the Cajuns ever again, whenever it does come to an end of being dominant. In fact, the tournament's next weekend, and then you get to the NCAAs. So the Cajuns, 21-2. They have not lost a single series since like 2013, yes, 2013, it's insane the stat they have of Series 1, and it continues to grow. Nice to people like Summer Ellison, who has really turned it around after kind of a relatively slow start. But Senior Weekend, really getting things done and keeping this conference winning streak alive. Because they've, they've won so many series. 64, dating back to March of 2013. Seventh straight season that they've claimed every single Sun Belt series. Think about that. Could probably be eighth completed season when you really think about it. This could have, last year 
more likely than not, would have been the seventh, and this year would have been the eighth. Because of the fact they were just so dominant last year. They were number one in the RPI for a reason. If not for COVID, that team was going to Oklahoma City. And I think there's every chance they could do that, but you need to have more faith. And this is something I've talked about a lot, is that Summer Ellison is great. She's one of the best pitchers I think the program's had. But there's not that not a whole lot of faith in the number in a number two. There's nobody out there that's screaming to me, hey, you know, put me out there. I can be right behind her and taking care of business. I just don't see that from a whole lot of people. Oh, there is somebody that's in that number that can prove me, prove me wrong. And I think, you know, there's some, uh, we've seen some people get it done and be able to do it consistently, but it just feels like Jerry Glasgow isn't necessarily having that one-two punch that I think is key, especially in regional play. Because you look at the Cajuns. They've had to rely a lot on Summer Ellison, a lot of these series, and having to pitch damn near every game. And when you get to Sunbelt tournament play, you, you dominate. Then you get to the tournament, and the last few times you've played LSU, and it feels like, according to some projections, that can be more of the same. I want to see what happens with this Cajuns team down the road. I want to see where they can go. If they go to LSU or anywhere else, they've got to get things done and have more than one pitcher in there that is going to be ready to go in those like worst-case scenarios. Because at the end of the day, when you get to the month of May, and I understand baseball and softball are two different things in terms of pitching. I just feel like you work best in case in point. LSU has always done really well. And mind you, LSU, I think, is having a bit of a down year, relatively speaking. But Cajun softball, they get things done here. They could very well be securing a bag and make it to Oklahoma City if they can get, if they had that second person in line. I think they do, but it's just, I want to see them rely on that other hand before too long. That's just at least my POV on things. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show. One final take. I can't wait to get into more about the NFL and get some Aaron Rodgers talk, because why the heck not? You're listening to 103.7 The Game on 103.7thegame.com. Back after this. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. All right, this take won't be too bad. This won't. I don't think this will be too horrible, but maybe the response won't be great from people, but it is what it is. Final take of the day involves Aaron Rodgers. I think it's time the Green Bay Packers let him walk. Let the dude walk. If he's complaining that much, if the relationship is that bad, I'm sure a lot of people out there who are listening right now have been in bad relationships. Eventually, you've got to come to the point where it's like, all right, time to go, closing time. And you realize, like, things aren't necessarily going the way that you thought they were at the beginning of the relationship or things just haven't gone well in your life. Sometimes it's best to cut it off before it's too late. Now, at this point, the Green Bay Packers have set themselves up. It is well past that point of closing time. It's time to go ahead and say, here's where we're at. Here's how we're setting up shop, and here is our future. And this team is a team without a future. 
You know, they haven't given Aaron Rodgers what they want. At the end of the day, the Green Bay Packers need to read the signs and say it's time to go. Now, where does it go to? I think it's a different conversation. And I don't mind getting into that conversation. And everybody wants to say, you know, he looked great in black and gold. Any quarterback will look great in the black and gold, especially somebody like Aaron Rodgers. That said, I would hate to see him with the black and gold. Because he'd only be there for a limited time. And it's delaying another step. You already have a guy who, in my mind, is probably going to be a really good quarterback in Jameis Winston. The LASIK surgery, if it's fixing everything the way we, we've been hearing about for the longest time, then I say, yeah, let him be the guy. If not, then Taysom Mills the guy, and you start to figure out what you're going to do after the season. You start to look at what's going on in the NFL draft, maybe tank, and get somebody who is highly rated, highly touted in this 2021 season. Because you'll have plenty of time to really start scouting these guys out. And honestly, if you told me to pick a name out of a hat, that would be a really good pickup for the Saints in 2022. You were asking the wrong person. Because I don't know enough about this 2022 quarterback class, as opposed to other years. Like, last year was probably the, one of the better years to pick up a quarterback. 2021, yeah, I think the jury's going to be 100% out on that because I think player, I think teams overvalue Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Mac Jones to a certain extent. Mac Jones fell right into the Patriots' lap, so I think that situation's going to work really well. But when it comes right down to it, who is really going to be a star outside of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Or, excuse me, not Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. A lot of questions that I have surrounding the state of this like franchise right here, right now. And, you know, the Saints, I don't know if they're going to get him. Denver feels like a long shot because Denver doesn't have a whole lot of weapons either to choose from. So, for me, I'm sure the Packers are just going to be like, you know what, we're going to keep you around for one more year, then we'll shop you around to be able to build towards the future Sands and Rodgers if he doesn't already retire. Because he wants to get rid of the, 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 the Gutenkunst, that cat, and I'm like, it is what it is. If you got to get rid of him, let him walk. Because if he's unhappy, your franchise is going to be an absolute mess for the foreseeable future. Because Green Bay absolutely should do right by him. A guy they've built into the system. That's my whole thing. I just, I've been blown away. Like how much people are outright in like almost a war over the state of the union when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. People have, like, especially Green Bay fans, they're absolutely livid over all this. Every time there's bad news, every time there's news, it's negative. It's almost like the whole Deshaun Watson situation without all the allegations piling on top of all that, and it makes the entire situation look about a million times worse. Yeah, think about that. This is the version of the Deshaun Watson news that we all expected back at the beginning of the year whenever all these rumors started popping up. And the next thing you know, the Houston Texans could very well get rid of him and, or have him suspended for a year. Then they've got nothing really to go back on. Then they're tanking. Mention earlier in the show. That's something that could happen. The Green Bay Packers have to make a really tough decision. It's going to be tough. But I think they should just let him walk. Because at the end of the day, that's it's going to hurt the Packers for now. Because I don't think Jordan Love's the answer. Jordan Love 
Could be. Could be a really good backup plan, plan B, if he does walk, because I'm sure he will. He's He's got his own reasons. Like anybody else who's in a job they don't like or in a position they're not, they'd rather not be in. People have reasons to leave. I think the reason that he's leaving is perfectly valid. Now, what happens next is anybody's guess when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and where he goes. Could he go over to Los? Could he go over to the West Coast? Play for the Rams? Probably not because they just traded for Matt, Matt Stafford. Maybe he goes to San Francisco. And they get rid of Jimmy G. And Trey Lance spends a couple years learning underneath Aaron Rodgers, which would be really cool. I'm not going to lie. Learning underneath a legend like that would be great. AFC teams, the Las Vegas Raiders would want him in a heartbeat, but I'm sure sure a California boy like Rodgers doesn't want to go to Sin City. He wants to go somewhere to build his brain. At the end of the day, I heard this phrase used a while back when it comes to wrestling, is that, you applied your passion. Now you're working. Now you're just basically trying to get the money before it's all said and done, and maximize your potential before they kick you out the door. And then you got to figure out life after football. Case in point, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is starting to build himself as a media guy, and you know you saw him perform on Jeopardy and have a great, great go on Jeopardy. But it feels like maybe the fan base won't necessarily be in favor of it long term. Great as a guest host, maybe not as great as a permanent guy. Personally, I'd much rather LeVar Burton as the, as the permanent host of Jeopardy. That's just me. But who's to say that somebody like Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to go to the West Coast to build his brand going forward? I think that's the way it's going to go. It's a smart way to go about it. Because at the end of the day, that's where the media is going to love him. And also, he'd be able to build himself up to a certain point, a lot like LeBron James. LeBron James already made his money. LeBron James went to the Lake Show, not to win championships, but to make money. He's going there to get paid. He's going to get paid big bucks down the road. He's building that brand. He's basically building that brand. It's not like, again, this is more of a wrestling thing. We'll wrap up the show after this. It's a lot like when you see guys who have spent years working the independent scene and, and working the roads with like hot dog and handshake and they have become like this big name. And let's say they go to WWE. They're not going there to basically become like to continue their five-star matches, all that stuff. No, they're going there to get paid. They're going there to make the money because they've done, they've done enough work to basically get to this point. Let's go ahead and start making actual dollar dollar bills and maximize before the clock runs out and your career is over. Same kind of thing here. But that's Under the Dome with CD. We're out of here. See you next week, a full two hours from 11 to 1, right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. LSU Baseball, next. Hey, Davis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.